Well, thank you, music team, for pointing us to Christ this morning. It's always such a good time to be able to get together with God's people on the Lord's Day. Excited, again, to be here with you. Just wanted to let you know the plan over the next uh, couple of weeks. Next week, David will be preaching, Ephesians 5, 15 through 21. I'll be back with you the next week. This will be our last uh, session, our last sermon in the book of Luke for a little while. We started a series many moons ago in the summer of 2015. It was my second, uh, I guess second summer, third summer here, here at Sunrise, and we just go through the Psalms. Uh, We go through the Psalms each summer, so about 10 Psalms or so uh, per summer. Uh, Next year, next uh, couple of weeks, we'll be starting on Psalm 77. We'll be looking at Summer in the Psalms again, and then we'll pick up the Gospel of Luke back in the fall, and very much looking forward to that already, getting into it, but I do so much enjoy the Psalms, so we will take a little break in that. So this morning, we're going to be in Luke chapter 5, Luke chapter 5, and I keep finding myself doing this, slowing down a little bit to give these narratives really time to speak, and then also knowing that we have a couple other elements here in the service this morning with our missionary updates and graduate uh, recognition here at the end of our service in a few moments. So uh, I did want to slow down, don't want to rush through these texts too quickly. So that's what we'll do today, is we will look at just verses 27 through 32. There's a couple of different types of people probably in here, and your relationship with the medical community could vary greatly. Some people, the first sign of sniffles or something feels a little bit off, and you're on Google, and you'll go to the doctor every, oh, 15 years or so when your spouse twists your arm enough to go put myself in that category. You feel some strange pain, something going on, and you think, ha, it'll go away. It's nothing, really. There's others of you who are on Google and YouTube, and you're absolutely convinced within minutes that you're about to meet your demise in just a matter of minutes. What would it, what, for people that maybe you're a little bit more hesitant to go to a place like the doctor or the ER, what would, t- what would it take to get you to actually say, all right, that's it, that's enough? And I think for most, you've had that experience at some point in your life where you say, all right, I yield, I give, I gotta get this checked out. The pain is too overwhelming, I can't deal with this, whatever it is, I can't think clearly. And you finally say, all right, I'm sick, there's something wrong, and you go and seek help. You have to recognize first that you need help before you'll actually get help, though. It's true, and we all know it's true. Jesus uses this very illustration and analogy, and he uses it to speak to people who don't know that they're sick. And they're rejecting the great physician, but they don't even know that they have a problem. I'll start with the end of our text here this morning, and then we'll see how we got there. In Luke chapter 5, verse 31, and Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You don't need any help. You guys seem to have this all figured out just by yourself. That's why I'm not really here for you. I'm here for those who recognize that they actually have a need. So how did we get here? Let's talk a little bit about the context and what's going on. This morning we're going to see hope for sinners, which is good news for all of us because we are all, in fact, sinners. Levi, this one who's become, who will become the picture that we'll look at this morning, we'll see that he's called, changed, and then we'll see challenges to Jesus and his 
calling of Levi and his association even with Levi as we move along. Let me remind us of where we are in the text. If you haven't been with us here in the Gospel of Luke or maybe this has fallen out of your heads, I used this last week, this chart. If that's too many lines and words and things, I'll be back in just a moment. But for those who enjoy charts and right angles, here you are. There are a number of things going on here, and there's a certain amount of overlap in Luke's structure. So when the gospel writers go to tell the story, they're telling it with a very intentional sort of format and way. If you're writing a letter, you'll probably sketch out maybe an outline of this is basically what I want to say, and then you you go and you fill in the bones of that. Or if you maybe remember your college days, uh, you're writing an essay or paper, you have to have a thesis, and then you have to have supporting points, and everything's sort of geared around how do I support this argument? Well, Luke's doing that. He's wanting to build a case. He's wanting to tell his friend Theophilus, this is what happened in the ministry of Christ. And he has very specific points that he's trying to prove. John is a very, very clear example of this. John tells us at the end of his gospel uh, that he wrote these things so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. John, why did you write this? And he had a whole journal of Jesus stories he could have told, but he picked these. This is what I want to say. This is what you need to know so that you are convinced. And Luke is doing much the same. They had different emphasis in writing, and you'll see the emphasis of Luke. He'll introduce something, and he'll come back to it a little bit later in the gospel. And so here's what we have. We have the incident of the catch of fish, This was the amazing story where they have so many fish, the nets are starting to break, it requires a second boat, the boat's starting to sink, they can't believe it. The reaction, though, is what really captures our mind and imagination here. When this happens, Peter says, depart from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. Anybody that has authority over nature, I'm not worthy to be in their presence. And so you get this, we're introduced to this idea, this theme, and the problem of sin, Then we have the healing of the leper. The healing of the leper. And this this finds its roots back in Leviticus 13 and 14. And many of you will remember this sermon forever as the time we talked about skin disease on Mother's Day. That was our sermon for Mother's Day. The leper. And the priest had to interact and deal with this, uh, with skin diseases and what they were and learning how to diagnose and how to treat Jesus heals this man, and instead of the man's impurity coming to Jesus, Jesus imparts his purity to the man. It becomes a picture, really, of how the gospel works. Again, it's dealing with this problem of sin. There was a close association between a physical ailment and sin being impure and unclean. Then we had the paralytic man, the man who was dropped down out of the roof. And what's so astonishing about this is the paralytic man is brought down in front of Jesus and Jesus immediately says, your sins are forgiven. We're not told anywhere in the story that he was seeking an answer for sin, but Jesus heals him of his physical ailment and also his spiritual problem. So the problem of sin and that kicks off a series of controversy stories. And so the first two stories here, if you're following the chart, you don't get any pushback. You're just introduced to these ideas, the catch of fish and then the healing of the leper. But then we start to see controversy. We start to see people push back and we start to see tension begin to build. And this tension is going to build throughout the entire gospel of Luke. And it's typically going to be with Pharisees. So we see tension. Jesus You can't just go telling people they're forgiven. 
You can't do that. Only God can do that. Jesus says, so that you know I have authority, stand and walk. He heals the man and he forgives him of his sin. Now we have another story, the calling of Levi. And we see he has the authority to change lives, to redirect. And this introduces us to the controversy story, part two, the second controversy story. And then the next two, we'll have to wait until we start our series back in the fall where we have controversy over the Sabbath. So come back in the fall and we will explore those as well. So let's look at the story of Levi. This is such an interesting and amazing story that we have for us here. Let's read it, verses 27 through 32. After this, after he healed the paralytic man, after this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at a table with them. And Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Levi is called, first of all, by the Lord. Levi is called by the Lord. Now, we're not told here specifically that this is Matthew, but if you take the gospel accounts and you put them together, you can pretty quickly figure out that it's the same guy that's mentioned over in Matthew chapter 9. And so Matthew, or Levi, many of the apostles had two names, like Simon and Peter. We see that as common, Paul and Saul. And so that's not uncommon. And the most likely explanation here is this is Matthew, also called Levi. He's a tax collector. And he's part of a group that are not known to be great, upstanding human beings. Now, as I was looking at this and thinking about how exactly we would equate this to our modern day in life, there's a number of professions that we could poke fun at and make jokes about, but I'm gonna resist the temptation to do that here this morning, but just think of professions that are known to be dishonest, known to be crooked, and the problem is in each one of those professions, you can do it right, you can do it with honesty and integrity, but this particular profession in this day and age it was known to be corrupt. It was just part of what it was. And so he's said to be a tax collector, and he's sitting in a tax booth. Now, there were roads. The Roman roads are obviously very famous, and amazingly, some of the Roman roads are still around today. This is actually a modern picture of a Roman road that's still around today. Uh, it's just amazing what they built over there. Some of you have traveled a little bit and you've seen some of the ancient, uh, ancient, I won't even call them ruins. They're just ancient buildings that are still there and still in spectacular, absolutely spectacular shape. Some of you have been to Italy, uh, have probably seen some of that in other places over there as well. I'm pretty sure that in 2,000 years from now, they're not gonna be posting pictures of 9B um, or Atlantic. You know, I, I just don't, I don't think they're gonna last um, that long. When we were in Italy, uh, we, were, we were in Italy visiting, and we're going to see some of the oldest buildings in the world that just still look pristine. And the hotel that we're staying at, the, the, the shower bathtub area, it was just coming apart. And I just remember thinking, like, this was built, like, probably five years ago, and this whole thing's coming apart, and we're going to see some of the oldest buildings in the world. It's pretty amazing. 
Uh, I think we've devolved uh, from some of this. All about speed now, right? So the Roman roads were legendary. It was for moving troops around, and there were miles and miles of these Roman roads, and there was one of these that ran up through the area that we're in, in Galilee, coming out of Capernaum. So one source said this, by the time of Jesus' ministry, the Roman road system consisted of great highways radiating from Rome, running through dozens of provinces, territories, and client kingdoms. The road system eventually increased to as many as 29 great highways. That's pretty amazing in the ancient world. 29 great highways interconnected by 372 great road links. So 29 highways connected by 372 road links. And there are approximately 250,000 miles of road system. 250,000 miles, that's a lot. You know, here to California, we're talking, what, 3,000 miles? Just to put it in perspective, that's a whole lot of mileage. There's a whole lot of stones. 50,000 miles were considered stone-paved superhighways, the interstates of the day, if you will. So these roads were spectacular. And along these roads in different areas, there would be someone who would have a booth. This is like the precursor to the sun pass. There would be somebody collecting a toll. And they had a really interesting system. So the Romans, they had a certain amount of money that they wanted out of that particular collector. And sort of like in some of you and your businesses operate a little bit this way, you could buy a territory. So I'll, I'll buy this southeast region or whatever it is. You could buy a territory and that came with a certain dollar price tag attached to it. And whatever you could make over that was yours to keep. And so that's sort of how the tax system worked at the day. Sort of like consignment, if you will. Hey, I want 10 grand for my used car I'm selling. Whatever you can sell over that, I don't care. Keep it. If you sell it for 20, great. If you sell it for 10, it's all mine. And so the tax collectors were obviously incentivized to get as much as they could possibly get without having absolute revolt on their hands from the people. And they had all the power. Because if you rolled up to the tax booth and the the toll said $1.75 and the attendant in the window said that'll be $42 and there's a legion of soldiers standing there, what are you going to do? Well, that's overpriced. I'm calling the Better Business Bureau. Didn't work that way. And so these guys were, they, they would extort people. And this happens still in the world today. When I was in Haiti a few years ago, this was years ago, I guess now, we went to visit a place in Haiti called the Citadel, which is amazing if you ever get a chance to go see that. It was absolutely fantastic to see. We get out of the car and we're kind of mobbed by this group of people standing there. And they say it's $10 to walk up the path. Well, they don't work for anybody. They, they're not authorized to collect this at all. You know what we did? We paid $10 and we walked up the path because I'm not getting into all that <laughs> at that point. So they had, they had the leverage. They had numbers. I'm in a foreign country. I don't speak the language. I'm like, you know what? 10 bucks to go see the Citadel? Sure, I'm in. And so they, they kind of own you. And that's what the tax collectors did. It's not right, but that's what they did. So here comes Jesus. He's seeing this tax collector and he knows what these people are like. He's doing this intentionally. He scouted him out. He's sitting at a tax booth and he said, come, follow me. You come and you follow me. Now what's so amazing about this is this man is forced to abandon his life. Think about this for a minute. The fishermen, when they leave their fishing profession, just like they did a chapter ago. When you leave your fishing profession, there's sort of a low barrier to entry into fishing. 
You can go fish again. You can go get another boat. You can go partner with somebody else. To walk out of a job like this probably represented something that was irreparable. You couldn't quit and come back. Some of you have been in jobs like that, I'm sure, where you could quit, but you cannot come back once you quit this job. That's most likely what this was like. One resource said it this way, after abandoning his post, Levi is unlikely to be welcomed back with open arms. His economic expectations have changed dramatically, and he must now live out the new economics of the reign of God. He just, everything just changed in a moment, and Jesus has the right to do that. He has abandoned the old life, and he moves into this new life. He's called by Christ. What happens next? Verse 29. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. There was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at his table with them. This is a painting of Levi and the party at Levi's house. Just thought it was really cool. This is on display in Italy. It's a gigantic um, painting that was, that was made in the 1500s. And this, is, uh, this party was probably pretty opulent. It was probably pretty wealthy. All of his buddies were pretty wealthy. And there's Jesus in the middle of this, having him, he's invited to this party. This man is changed. So he throws this gigantic party with all of his tax collector buddies, and then you have the Pharisees sitting on the other side saying, what are you thinking? What are you, why are you hanging out with those people? What in the world is wrong with you? A couple of things that are noteworthy here, I think. One, there is a there is celebration that's associated with repentance in the ministry of Jesus. When people come to Christ and they repent of their sins, there's, it's a party. It is a celebration. And this breaks the paradigm, and this gets into the next section, which we can't cover today. The idea that you would celebrate repentance, and that just meant you didn't actually mean it. So in order to demonstrate true repentance, you needed to tear your clothes. You needed to have sackcloth and ashes. You, you needed to be very somber. And so the idea, the gall of this guy to be a sinner, invite Jesus over and have a gigantic party celebrating his conversion, they, they don't have a category for this at all. No man who has tasted grace wants to go to heaven alone. I love that line. Levi sure doesn't sure doesn't. Throws this gigantic party, and he invites all of his tax collector friends. You know, you're here today, and I know many of you, I'll pick on our Navy folks here for a moment. You're here today, and you have Christian friends, and you have people maybe in your home groups. I, I would venture a guess, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, I would venture a guess that at points in time, you find yourself in the midst of company and they don't talk a lot like your church friends talk. They don't joke about the same things that you joke about here. It's a very different culture and context that you find yourself in the middle of. And here's Jesus. He finds himself in the middle of these people. He's continually drawn to the marginalized and the outcast. I think we have to be careful with this as well. We don't want to use the example of Jesus to go find ourselves in sketchy places and use this somehow as some sort of excuse for sin. That's not Jesus's point. He is, after all, the sinless son of God. We need to be careful with that. 
But also, he's drawn to the marginalized and the outcasts, and I think we can learn something from that. So, Levi is changed, and now the challenge comes from the Pharisees. It's always the religious crowd that gives Jesus the most trouble. What you'll see is that when Jesus is interacting with people, the people that are gentle, the people that are humble before him, Jesus is so gentle and kind with them. The people that are self-righteous and resistant and confrontational, they are met in turn by Jesus. Verse 30, and the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Why are you doing this? Jesus said to them, those who are well, I've no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Those who should have been the most excited about the ministry of Jesus are actually giving him the most trouble. They're convinced that they aren't doing repentance right. If they were truly repentant, it wouldn't look like that. Some have said they believed in salvation by segregation. We're gonna be saved by being apart. And I think there's some, there's some reality that we need to understand with that. We need to be careful who we hang out with. After all, Paul said, 1 Corinthians 15, do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. We need to be careful who we hang out with. We need to be aware of that. We need to be knowledgeable of that. But also, and this is a verse we actually talked about in our equipping hour session a little bit this morning, we need to understand this as well. Paul said, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all, meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy or swindlers or idolaters since you would need to go out of the world. So if you think that you're gonna go to your boss this week and say, hey boss, I'm a Christian and so therefore this week, I'm only gonna be on teams with people that think like me, that don't use this type of language, that only say these certain things, that you can't. And Paul's saying, you, you can't, that won't work. That's not reality. You have to exit the world, and you don't need to do that. What Paul is saying in the context there is that there's so-called believers in your midst that are living in immorality, and you need to deal with that person if they're claiming to be a believer. If they're not, hey, that's just what they do. Again, we need to be careful with this. I've had friends, this particularly happened in college multiple times, Friends that say, well, I'm just gonna go hang out at this particular place or that particular place, and I'm just gonna go down there and share the gospel. Like, are you, like, are, are you going to share the gospel? Is that really what's going on? And I question that, and I've seen it go badly many times, and you probably have as well. So be careful with that. Don't use this as some sort of license to, I'm just gonna go wherever I wanna go, because Jesus hung out with bad people. I'm gonna hang out with bad people. They will influence you. It absolutely will happen, but also don't pull away from the marginalized in the world. Jesus answers, those who are well have no need of a physician. You have to first recognize that you are, in fact, a sinner. You have to recognize, I need to go to the doctor. You have to recognize that I have a problem. I have a condition, and it's a sin problem. Jesus says, you don't need me, verse 32, I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Oh, you guys are good. You guys are good. You don't need me. You got this all figured out. 
Let's use this story and apply it a little bit to our own lives as well. What about you? I would encourage you to do this at some point in your life. Maybe some of you have gone through this process. Maybe been a Christian for many, many years. Maybe this is all new to you. Regardless, I would encourage you at some point, go through this exercise. How did you come to Christ? What was it? What were the conditions around that? Or have you come to Christ? Think through that. What happened since you started following Jesus? Was it the type of story that Levi had where you're having a party and telling others that you don't want to go to heaven by yourself? And then what were the challenges keeping you from Christ? For these Pharisees, it was their self-righteousness. Their self-righteousness. So what's our story? This could really be a tale of two groups, we could say. There was a group that were sort of like this tax collector, the tax collector group. And they are living, and nobody has to convince them that they are sinners. And this was a story for many of you as well. There's things in your background and your past that you wish you could undo. You wish you could go back, but it's there. It's there forever, and it's part of your story. I've joked with students before that I think sometimes our students in particular They'll hear a story about some dramatic testimony, you know, somebody that, uh, you know, was a, they were dealing drugs and, you know, doing awful, terrible things, and they'll hear these stories of dramatic conversion to Christ, and they think, ah, I need a testimony upgrade. I think what I need to do is just go off the rails for a little while, and then I can come back, then I'll have an awesome story to tell. Well, there's a word for that. It's, it's called foolishness. <laughs> don't, don't do that. <laughs> um, Talk to somebody in the room that has that story and ask them if they have scars from that story that they wish they didn't have. Ask them that question because I can guarantee you they do. Romans 6, but what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? What was the fruit of that? For the end of those things is death. Sin leaves scars. Don't do that. Don't fall into that. Don't think I've got to go go off the deep end for a little while. There's also the Pharisaical group. We've said it before, but the gospel is so amazing that the gospel can even save self-righteous church kids too. That was my story. The gospel can save self-righteous church kids too. You don't have to have that crazy off-the-rails sort of story. Maybe you're here today and you have that story. Maybe you're here today and you don't. It doesn't matter. The gospel is still the answer. For me, my judgment was more internal. I'm quietly in my mind thinking, well, they're doing it wrong. They're doing it wrong. They're doing it wrong. They're doing it wrong. This pharisaical attitude that's just kind of festering in my own heart and soul. All the while, just simple self-righteousness. That's what it was. There are also some who have stints in both camps. The pharisaical group and then also the the this group of sinners. Maybe you've had stints in both camps. I think this is sort of how it works. If you start out in, hey, I'm just gonna live for myself, live for my own pleasure, do whatever I want to do, at some point you realize that that's a dead end road and I gotta clean my act up and then that can turn you really legalistic. We're locking it down, baby. And nobody I'm I'm and I'm gonna I'm gonna have all these rules that are in my life. But that can go the other way too where you have this testimony and you're pretty squeaky clean and then you can, you can use that license as a way to sin. You can go either way on that. What's the answer? The answer is the gospel of Christ. 
It's the answer for self-righteousness. It's also the answer for those who just want to live in their sin. Gospel obedience before the Lord. This text is really amazing. It points us to two different paths. And we see that these sinners Jesus chose to associate with, he chose to call them, he chose to call them close to himself. And then we see the self-righteous who have no need of Christ. He continues to develop this in the next section and he begins to show them that your guys are thinking about this all wrong. You're thinking about Christ all wrong. That's what we'll get into as we continue through the Gospel of Luke. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much for this text that you've put in front of us here today. And Lord, you're kind and good to us and we see that you call this, this man out of this sinful group and they did not have good reputations. They did not seem to fit the bill for what you were looking for in a disciple. It seems like you would be looking for one who was squeaky clean, who maybe had degrees and maybe was on the honors list and thought of well by those on the outside, but that's not the people that Jesus sought. We see him here at this banquet celebrating with this man who was known to be a sinner. And then we see the self-righteous Pharisees who want nothing to do with Jesus because of this. Lord, we recognize that both of these things can be true of our own hearts as well. We can find ourselves self-righteous. We can also find ourselves just wanting to indulge the sins of the flesh. And so, Lord, the gospel is the answer. Obedience to the gospel, obedience underneath the gospel because you've changed our hearts and lives. We pray that you would help us to embrace the true and free gospel of grace. We pray these things in Christ's name, amen.